content marketing, quote unquote, generally refers to you know, when we use blog posts, articles, essays, videos, images, or any really any other content media that can be distributed in a scalable way in order to acquire and influence audience, prospects, customers. And so why is it important? You know, even if blogging, for, for one example, is less effective than it was 10 years ago, content marketing itself is still incredibly important, not just because, and I'll say it a third time, not just because content forms the backbone of all marketing, but also because it gives you multiple formats and multiple channels in order to reach your audience and demonstrate your business value to them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hashtag Startup Basics series in the Insights Alley podcast, where startup founders and teams can learn from proven founders and experts about product, growth, sales, strategy, and everything in between to make their own startup successful. I'm your host, Arun Verma, and let's get started. In today's episode, we will talk to Susan Sue who is the former head of marketing at Reforge and also a former venture partner at 500 Startups, advising portfolio companies on content and marketing and much more. We will talk about everything related to content marketing for early stage startups. Its definition, importance, content creation, content distribution, ROI, and basically how to just get started. So here is the episode. Hello, Susan. Welcome to Insights Alley. And thanks a lot for taking out some time for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So Susan, would you like to start with telling us your story in brief from your early career to 500 and Reforge, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started out in tech actually at Google is my biggest company job that I ever had uh, working on um, localization project management for its geo products, including Google Earth and Google Maps. And then eventually I realized that I really wanted to go smaller and work in a startup. I was you know, pretty young at the time and had kind of caught the startup bug. And so, you know, I went through a series of startups getting kind of smaller every single time until I was at a very early stage startup called Inside Network that was a research, we sold research and data services to app developers and to investors and bankers that were interested in the Facebook and social app ecosystem and the mobile app ecosystem too, I should I should say. Right. So that was really my first touch point with using, with the power of content because we were, you know, basically using a couple of different blogs that were our news blogs, our industry news blogs to do all of the lead generation for these subscription data services and these enterprise research services. And so th- these are pretty high priced products, every, anything from you know $250 a month all the way up to several thousand dollars up to tens of thousands of dollars for some of our deals. Um, and all of this was driven by content. And so I, you know, I wasn't a content marketer per se at that point. I was just a, a sort of a product marketer and, and also product product manager at that company. But I realized sort of from where our leads and our traffic were coming from that, wow, this content thing is really powerful. And this was a long time ago. So a little right. little bit of content still went a really long way back in those days. A few steps later, I ended up at 500 Startups, which is a seed stage investment firm and that also runs an accelerator, several t- accelerator batch several times a year. And that was a lot of fun. 500 was also another brand that leaned heavily on content, both for the 500 brand and also to help our companies. And so there I advised companies 
and I also helped to, you know, do some marketing for 500 for the firm itself and and also put on some different investment programs focused on companies that were looking to raise their next round, their Series A round. And after that, I, I you know, have been at 500 for about three years and I decided it was time to, to be an operator again. So I joined Reforge, which is an education and training business that sells to top tech companies and trains their product managers, engineers, and marketers in growth, in the discipline of growth. Now, Reforge is an interesting business because we were selling a high price product that's over $3,000 per seat for this education experience. And it's a high consideration product because you have to really think, am I ready to commit, you know, eight weeks or multiple weeks of my life and all of this energy into an education program? You only get out what you put in. And so there's a lot of investment that we were asking for on the part of the customer. Now, content was instrumental in not only acquiring new leads for our funnel, but also in just keeping customers engaged post-purchase and and keeping them happy so that they would turn into positive referrers for us, which and repeat purchasers, I should say, also, which all turned out really well for Reforge. But again, I have to say content was really the foundation for that. And yeah, so I'm really happy to talk to companies today about early stage content. Right. So let's start with today's topic. It is said widespread, obviously, content is king. So how and why? And what does it even mean by content marketing? And why is it important? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think to take a step back, most people would agree that all companies need marketing at some point, maybe in the very beginning, they might not need marketing, they're a Dropbox, and they're just naturally viral or what have you. But eventually, all companies need marketing, you know, stemming from that, it's good to keep in mind that all marketing is built on top of a foundation of content. So I personally think that the term content marketing is a little bit misleading just because it's, you know, trying to say that it implies that some marketing doesn't have content as part of it, which which is not true because all all marketing is built on top of content. But that said, in common usage, content marketing, quote unquote, generally refers to you know, when we use blog posts, articles, essays, videos, images, or any really any other content media that can be distributed in a scalable way in order to acquire and influence audience, prospects, customers. And so why is it important? You know, even if blogging, for, for one example, is less effective than it was 10 years ago, content marketing itself is still incredibly important, not just because, and I'll say it a third time, not just because content forms the backbone of all marketing, but also because it gives you multiple formats and multiple channels in order to reach your audience and demonstrate your business value to them. Right. Makes sense. Susan, when do you think it's a good idea to start thinking about content marketing, especially in a very, very early stage SaaS startups? And also, how do you identify that moment? I think that really depends on so many facets of the business. It's hard to give like a single rule. So that's my first preface is that don't take this as as the rule. But how I would be thinking about it, first of all, is, you know, number one, the most important is, you know, there's a funny term. I don't know if people have heard of this term or like I'm the only person that ever says it, but it's it's called a face made for radio. It's kind of a joke, like you have a face made for radio. And I think that's just such a great, memorable way to think about this problem. Because what it's saying is that, you know, not everybody has a face made for TV, obviously. Right. And so we have to we have to really lean into our strengths and, and not force a fit. And so with that in mind, thinking about really early stage companies, let's say you're one or two people, founder or a pair of co-founders or a small founding team. The first question to ask is like, what are all 
of our jobs to be done right now? And what is their urgency? Right. And is there somebody, you know, is there somebody that has expertise or, or talent or affinity for, you know, number one, doing marketing and number two, doing content? Now, I've met many technical people, technical founders who are extremely talented at storytelling and extremely talented at maybe even talking on video or writing or, you know, all of these different formats that content can take. And so I think that's really great. It's also looking at, you know, do you, number one, do you have that competency somewhere in your existing team? Number two, how urgent is your need to start marketing versus your need to build product or your need to fundraise and and just whatever the other priorities are in your business? So I think those are kind of like the pre-questions that you would ask. And then let's say you realize, okay, we, we have somebody that can do this. We have some talent or we have some ideas even. We have some time and resources and we know that now is the right time to, to start doing this. And so I think then it's really never too early to get started. I mean, you see talented founders who start doing content even before they announce what their company right. is. And it's actually, yeah. by the way, it's a great way to drum up early interest or to, to generate a pre-launch list, a beta list or what have you. And so I think there's really no moment too early except this is the moment that's too early. It's when you're still really heads down on other essential kind of mission critical endeavors for your business, or when you simply don't have the resources and you're trying to, you know, force a fit that whole face made for radio thing. You have to have a lot of self-awareness, I think, as a founder or as a founding team and recognize when you have a face made for radio and not not try to and not try to become like a Hollywood actor based on that. Right. Makes sense. So obviously your content strategy would consist of two things, content creation and then content distribution, right? So let's talk about content creation first. So for many people, when you say content, they equate it to blog posts, right? Which is just one type of content item which you could be producing. There is so much and especially in this day and age of attention economy. So what different types or forms of content items could be there even to choose from? Yeah, so many. So I think the actual, like I would kind of rewind a step. And I know you kind of said we're, we're going to talk about content creation and content distribution. But I actually think distribution is the problem that you need to solve first, okay. as opposed to creation. So you should think about the channels first. And, and by the way, even before you think about the channels, you should think about the audience. So the question of who is this content for? And like, who am I trying to reach with this content? So I think that's actually the very, very beginning of like, figuring out your content formats, whether it's blog posts or videos or infographics or something else is really number one is understanding the customer. And by the way, most businesses, especially in B2B, they don't just have one customer, you have multiple different personas, different segments, and and even like different industry verticals, for example, and all of those are going to behave a little bit differently. So I think number one, it starts with mapping what your audience kind of all the nuances of your audience, because in an ideal scenario, you want to design content for every user segment that matters to your business. Maybe that's just one single segment, again, you know, very unlikely, but more likely you have multiple segments and verticals. So what about the stages of a customer, right? So like how to see content from a point of view of customer stage in the buying process or life cycle? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I think the first step in designing any content marketing strategy or any marketing strategy, I should just say any marketing strategy is, is mapping out the who. So those personas that I was talking about. And then right after that, you want to map the entire customer journey. So when I say personas, I'm referring to the, the who, but by customer journey, I'm talking about the what, the where, and the when. So in other words, the key actions, that's the what, that your customers, the who, undertake on their path that's the where from stranger to customer. And that's the when. So it's really like, 
I remember when I was in fifth grade, I had this, we, we had this really special game that we played in our class. And it was, you kind of traveled along the this wizard route. And there would be every week, you'd have to do different kind of challenges, like pass a spelling test or do a math test. And if everybody in your team passed, then you would move on to the next kind of milestone on the map. It was a really, really fun way to, you know, get kids to do all this work, of course, and to do learning, but also to give um, to give learners a sense that, okay, there is a path, and I'm on a path. I'm not just randomly learning stuff for no reason. It's all kind of threading together, and I'm going, I'm headed somewhere. And so I think for customers, that's the same thing. And number one, you need to understand what that path, you, you have to design that path. You're the architect of that path, because you have to lead them from whatever their starting point is to your desired ending point, which is like a happy, referring, retained customer. And then content is really like all, you know, if you want to take the metaphor even further, content is all of those like signposts along the way of that path. It's all of the things, let's say you're designing this beautiful path and you want to put um, some lights over here, you want to put a bench over there, you want to put some, and so content is all of those items. And And content can be in, in terms of its format, to go back to your earlier question, it can be as different. The formats can be as different as a light post is from a bench from a sign. That stuff is all content to me. And the path is the customer journey. So you need to understand the customer journey and then you need to understand at which twists and turns in the customer journey you need to offer a light versus you need to offer a seat so they can sit down because they might be tired at that point versus you need to offer a sign because they're confused about which way to turn. And so I think that's really the way, you know, coming back to away from the out out of the metaphor, I think that's the way that I think about it is like they are on this long journey. It's sometimes, you know, it's hard to become not only a customer of a SaaS you know, for example, SaaS is really challenging, right? It's not only challenging to go from being a prospect to a lead to a customer, it's also very challenging to become a successful active customer. Because there's all, you know, implementation, usage, all this kind of stuff. And so content and and marketing in general is not only just like get them in the door and make them into customers, but it's really think about it as you're that guide on that path. The path has lots of twists and turns, and you have to really show them the way to go using lots of different formats and tools. Makes sense. And for listeners who, who are expecting that answer of what type of content. So I dug very good answer from one of your talks only, which is like blog posts, video, infographics, webinar, web series, show, slide deck, course, podcast, research report, white papers, case study, magazine, your own magazine, your own book. So I guess you just need to pull the levers of your imagination. Yeah. And I would even add on top of that, thanks for doing that research. I would even add on top of that events. Events are a type of content. And most companies don't structure, especially established mature companies, they don't structure events as part of content marketing, but it is 100% content marketing. And events can be everything from like, you know, a tiny uh, dinner that you host all the way up to a bigger meetup all the way up to, you know, for example, an owned conference that you create like Salesforce's Dreamforce. Imagine all of the talks and all of the, you know, kind of writing and video and visual content that goes into producing something like Dreamforce. So Dreamforce is 100% a, a giant piece of content marketing. Really, the sky's the limit. Everything is content. Content is anything that we can read, listen to, experience. And so thinking about it in terms of the five senses and how you can can guide your prospects using their five senses on that on that customer journey makes sense about the quality of the content obviously not all content is created equal right so 
how to ensure content itself is useful and provides value to your customer or potential customers and it's just not a blatant or heartless advertisement of your product or some sort of first of all is it even important and if yes how do we ensure that yeah it's extremely important because if your content isn't valuable i mean i think this is really obvious but let's just say the obvious if your content's not valuable nobody's going to pay attention if you create content that you yourself would not stop you know, your busy day in order to read, or, or if you're sending out emails, like email marketing that you yourself don't look forward to, I think that's like, that's the red flag. And I can't tell you how many companies do that, because we tend to think about the customer as the other as this like, you know, other side of the table, but actually, they're just us, you know, in a different time and place. And so I think like, that's the the, the key litmus test, like, the, you know, kind of the first check on your on your checklist should be just be yourself should just be would I attend this Would I read this Would I listen to this Would I watch this entire video all the way through and if you have any hesitation in answering that then you need to go back to the drawing board and and really work on quality quality is so hard it is supposed to be painful it's not easy to make you know a viral blog post it's not easy to make a video that people love and want to share with other people right. it's actually really 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 hard and I think that's you know, another point that I want to, you know, really make here and not to scare people off, but content is expensive. It's right. expensive in terms of time and effort, both to create and to distribute. And so while I think there's no moment too early to start experimenting with content, I also think that, you know, you may not see the returns on that expensive investment as quickly as you would for, you know, for example, I've run paid campaigns before, and it's just the contrast is amazing. You see leads coming in <laughs> instantly right. as soon as you, as soon as your campaign goes live right? Right, right um leads or customers or whatever is your core thing that you're after and i think that's you cannot compare content to to direct response paid channels it doesn't convert in the same way and it's a much longer tail sorry i shouldn't say tail because that's confusing it's a much longer journey to to value but i think again it can be an extremely rich way to d deliver that value so let's take a let's take a quick example i know that we're mainly talking to b2b companies today but let's let's just kind of switch that up and say for example you're a consumer e-commerce company let's because everybody can relate to this right it's an easy example let's say you're chewy.com which is a, a pet e-commerce that sold to PetSmart, i think like a year or a year and a half maybe two years ago for um 3.35 billion dollars pet amazon just think okay. about that okay so chewy probably has a few key personas so this goes back to the who from the beginning let's say they're like people who are brand new to having a pet people who have multiple pets maybe people who have like cats only people who have dogs only and people who have like exotic animals like birds and lizards okay right. so those are just like a few really quick back of the napkin examples that we'll, we'll just throw out there now the next thing you'd want to do is to to map the journey of each of those segments that you think are meaningful. Like maybe you'll say, okay, people who have exotics are not meaningful. I'm not going to map that segment. That's fine. But I really care about people who are new to having a pet and people who have multiple pets. That seems like a big opportunity for purchases because when you're new, you want to buy lots of stuff. And when you have multiple, well, you just have multiple mouths to feed you. So you're going to be a good customer for Chewy. Right. So when you're a new pet owner, you know, thinking through that, that path, again, that journey, what are all the stages that you go through right after you've adopted? Um, or ideally, maybe before you've adopted as you're getting ready. So first of all, you'll be searching for how to information, how to take care of your new dog and cat, dog or cat. Oh, you know, what does it mean when he or she does this? Or how much should I feed them? How much should I, you know, do I need to bathe them? Do I need right. to play with them? Like, what do I need to do? You're brand new to it. So that right there is a content opportunity. 
Chewy, in that case, they could be doing videos, they could do blog posts, they could do social media campaigns, they could even do, for example, let's say they want to do like local content marketing, they could do in person, you know, workshops or meetups for new pet owners, they could partner with with adoption agencies in order to sort of continue to create new channels for distributing their content. And, And the content that the content of their content marketing would talk about everything that you should be thinking about when you bring a new pet into your family. It's very educational because at that stage, you know, the main problem that a new pet owner is trying to solve is I just don't, I don't have any experience with this. I I don't have information. And so education is a really great way to go and and not even product specific in education, but like problem specific education. And when I say problem, obviously having pets isn't a problem, but it's just, you know, that's like the new challenge in their life. And so to your question about how do you deliver value? Well, first you speak to the problem and you have to understand for each individual segment and each individual stage, what the problems are. So people who are new to having a pet, their problem might just be like, okay, I don't know anything. So I have a lot of stuff, a lot of problems that you can help me solve. People who have multiple pets, maybe their problem is, okay, my pets aren't getting along, or I don't know how to introduce them, or how do I you know, make enough space for them, or whatever it is. And so you can speak to their that segment specific problems. And so I think the way that you deliver value, and I always say this as a reminder, you know, there's no such thing as too much content, there's no such thing as too much email or too frequent, right. it's just too frequent or too much if you're not actually solving a problem. You know, it, when I have a problem, and I want to understand like, you know, why my dog, you know, keeps doing this weird thing with his paw, there's almost until I get that answer, there's no amount of content that's too much, I will read through blog post after blog post, I'll watch video after video. And so I think that's the key to remember is that if you're delivering value by matching your content to a real problem, then it will always be welcome. Right. Apart from, let's say, customer's problem and solution, headlines or topics related to that, how do you find other ideas or perhaps curate ideas for content piece? What topics to create content on? I think there are two ways that you can do it. One is by talking to your customers and talking to can literally mean talking to face to face in person or over you know, Skype or phone or whatever. And it can also just mean surveys, polls and looking at just looking at any kind of aggregate data that you have. So aggregate data could be could be looking at search data the kind of queries that are coming in or that are coming in for your type of business. Or it could be looking at reviews. Let's say you are advising a company that's a mobile app. And so we often look at the reviews and we look at, you know, obviously Google and Apple offer all this really great natural language processing to help you sort through reviews and pick out the key themes and words that are that are happening there. And so I think that's like a scaled way to talk to your customers. I still advocate the non-scaled way, which is one-to-one, because that will, you know, help you fill in all of this richness that you don't get from looking at stuff in aggregate. So that's how you sort of, that's how like the first step in understanding what kind of content and problems that you need to speak to. Right, makes sense. Again, coming to the point, like if this would come under customers' problem solution set, like how to think in categories, what different categories of content item could be there when thinking of ideas or producing content. So one could be obviously related to customer. Could there be any other, let's say, thought leadership or your culture values or some sort of content which directly does not affect your customer, but still you would want to create as a company? 
Yeah, I think that's, thanks for bringing that up. That's such a great question. You know, I think earlier in my career, I probably would have said, if it doesn't relate to the customer, it doesn't need to exist because the customer is king. You really need to focus on their problems, especially in this, in our like very tight attention economy that we're in right now. You know, people really just care about themselves. So I still think that's 90% true. But there is another case where, you know, and this is getting into like a bigger topic of brand in general. I think that content can also be a really powerful tool in in building and, and expressing your brand identity. And brand identity can be, especially in B2B, where trust is paramount. Brand identity can be right. a really important factor in that decision-making process. And so I think to the extent that you want to do thought leadership, or other expressions of your brand identity, like let's say you want to write about your company values or your, you know, your principles that you operate, your operating principles. I think that's all content and it's important, but it's not content marketing. And the reason why it's not content marketing or, you know, typically it's not content marketing is because when's the last time that you've seen, apart from Netflix's famous culture deck, when's the last time that you've seen materials about a company, like, for example, their company values or their operating principles? When's the last time you've seen content like that get widely distributed and shared on online channels? It typically doesn't because people, you know, typically will not be that keen to want to share content about your company with their network. It's more they want to share content about themselves or about their problem or or about a problem that they think their friends or their or their network might also share. And so I think that's a key distinction that we definitely want to do content for brand marketing and for brand expression, but we shouldn't expect it to perform in the same way as as content marketing officially should. And so we shouldn't expect those kind of thought leadership pieces to be huge lead generators. They might be a great way for us to show who we are as a company and what we stand for, but they're not going to be, you know, if we start to put the same kind of traffic expectations and lead lead gen expectations as we have for traditional content marketing, then um, we might be disappointed. That's a valid, valid thing. Perhaps it could help companies in attracting the talent or like an inbound of potential candidates for job application. I think it's absolutely so, you know, it's all your other stakeholders, whether that's like prospective candidates for your company, all the way to investors. I think those are really important constituents that just aren't customers and and content marketing is very customer facing. Right. So like setting the right expectation with your content is very, very important. Makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, How important is naming or the headings in the content piece in all this? Like any quick inputs on how to do that? Yeah, it's really important because, again, like this is talking about distribution before we talk about distribution, but you have to think about, you know, is there sort of content channel fit? Is there a fit between the content that I'm creating and and the channel that I want to distribute it on? So like if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, well, then no customers are going to come and, you know, come after that tree, whatever. Right. The, the metaphor doesn't work, but the point is that the distribution channel defines not only the format of content, you know, you can't publish a blog post on YouTube, but it also defines sort of every aspect of what that content should come out looking and feeling like. So you want to understand like, you know, Facebook versus LinkedIn for 
trying to distribute content on Facebook versus LinkedIn. They're both kind of like these social network type news feed formats, but they're slightly different. And so that's going to inform the way that we do our titles and the way that we do our initial preview text and the way that we do our image, all of that stuff. And there are also, by the way, there are norms for every channel. So, you know, LinkedIn has has kind of community norms that are different than the community norms on Instagram and Twitter. They, you know, sort of each have their own language. And so when we create content, including the title or the image or you know, really any text, we don't want to just like think about ourselves, think about what we want to create, and then just like blast it out there across all the channels, we really want to tailor it for the channel that we wanted to succeed on. Right, makes sense, makes sense. What do we mean by repurposing or repackaging your content that you have already created? So like, what do we mean by that? And how do we do that? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, it's a ton of work to to create content. And so if you're going to do all of that work, you want to make sure you get as much mileage as possible from that content. So every single piece of content can always become at least two or three more pieces. Let's say you write a long form essay, you write a long form blog post. Well, that could also be a shorter blog post that could be a tweet storm that's like works really well right now. If you turn your long form post into a series of tweets in order to distribute those same ideas, and concepts, but tailored more for the Twitter channel. Just share out your link to your long form content. How many people are actually going to click the link? Maybe not that many, but if you share it as like actual tweet update in a tweet storm format, how many people are going to ultimately consume that content? A lot more. And plus, by the way, people can engage with it. People can reply to you and create more reverberation around your content. And so that would be like one way of getting more mileage out of that, out of that long form blog post. Let's say you want to, you decide, hey, YouTube is a really, you know, big, opportunity for us. We want to start generating a following or generating even leads um, or influence on YouTube. So you could take that same long form blog post and turn it into a video script. And you could do a video out of it. You could do a talking head video. You could do um, a voiceover sort of webinar video. Oh, and speaking of webinars, by the way, you could turn that same long form blog post into a script for a live webinar around mm-hmm. that same topic. And, and so, so on and so forth. You could turn it into an infographic if it's really data heavy and you can get other people to to write about your long form, you know, original concept if it's in image format. So there's lots of like different creative ways that you can do. I think what it really comes back to is what is the customer problem and what is like the core solution that you're proposing for that problem? And then like, okay, how are all the different ways that I can tell this story for matched to the distribution channels where I see opportunity? Right, right. Makes sense. Another strategy in thinking around this would be to understand where do your prospect customer or potential customers hang out? Where do they consume the content online, right? Then you can go onto those channels and produce the content fitting for those exact channels. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, you know, for example, we talked about Chewy.com earlier. You might not want to share your Chewy.com, you know, if you're a business like Chewy or, or like, let's say you do like baby shoes or something like that. You might not really want to invest too much in white papers on LinkedIn. Right. But if you're but if you're Okta, which is a company that builds identity management tools right. for for big enterprise, you probably wouldn't create a content strategy that relied on posts and stories distributed on Instagram and Snapchat. And so so of course you need to understand who is your person, you know, like the who and then the what is their journey, like what are all the pit stops along that journey, which are the places that they're hanging out in order to find information and solve their problem. Yeah, perhaps we would be seeing VR and AR forms of content very soon. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think there's, you know, a lot of opportunity there to both be spammy and annoying and a lot of opportunities to really tell a story in a more innovative format. 
right for this podcast also i kind of repurpose it and make a youtube video out of it <laughs> oh that's great yeah exactly so there you go and you could you could repurpose this and make a blog post out of it exactly. or you could re- repurpose this and make a bunch of um, social media cards with you know a co- single quotes or like sing- one or two sentence takeaways out of it you could right. even repurpose this all all together let's say you have like a hundred of these episodes and you can make a book out of it right right that's a very good strategy all right so we covered content creation with much details let's talk about marketing of that content or a better term would be content distribution so my question is what do we mean by content distribution like a very simple layman's term yeah so content distribution is just quite frankly marketing the content the marketing part of content marketing you can create content but if you don't find a way to get in front of people then it's not going to get you any customers and so that could be via sharing that could be via paid promotion that could be via seo those are all different ways that content gets distributed and what channels founders could be utilizing for content distribution i mean this can get very overwhelming very fast so how to think around this what channels to choose from Yeah, so the channel that you should choose are just basically where do you have the most customers? So it's the same exact as if you were doing a paid strategy. Let's say you're trying to acquire, I know this is not the case for B2B SaaS, but let's say you're trying to acquire 18 to 24-year-olds for like a new direct-to-consumer like sneaker brand. In that case, LinkedIn is just not going to be an interesting distribution channel for you. And maybe search is not even going to be an interesting distribution channel for you because you have to think in the mindset of that 18 to 24-year-old. Right. she or he like searching for the sneakers or are they like looking to their friends are they looking to like fun social media channels in order to look for new products and brands that they want to try out so i think that is really like everything i keep saying but it really comes back to the persona especially for distribution channels so i guess obviously social media channels facebook twitter instagram linkedin is obviously great channels for any type of product and startups but for b2b it could be content platforms like medium youtube your own blog and community-based platforms like Quora, Reddit, inbound.org, growthhackers.com. Any quick tips and advice on how to think around this? Well, one thing I'll say is that the channel needs to match your um, your brand as well. Okay. So for example, Growth Hackers is really great for like kind of more casual businesses. But let's say you're an Okta or you're, you know, Adyen, which is a payments processor. Like, I think it would be unlikely that the kind of C-suite buyer that those customer uh, that those companies need to speak to would be checking GrowthHackers.com because you know if you're a CIO or CTO, you're just you're just yeah. not on that site. It's it's not nothing wrong with Growth Hackers, nothing right. wrong with the CTO. It's just not really where they're just not hanging out together. And so in that case, that distribution channel it might get you a lot of traffic or clicks, but it's going to be unqualified traffic. They're those people are not going to be your target buyer. And so in addition to the ones that you mentioned, there's also like so many things in the enterprise space. There are, you know, webinar platforms that help you distribute your webinar just to among targeted lists of people that are, you know, in enterprise buyer situations. There are, you know, analyst white papers and and then they help you get distributed on amongst their analyst, you know, their reader network, as well as distribution on LinkedIn. And so, I, I mean, I think ultimately, Ultimately, like 
especially in B2B and as you get bigger and bigger, a lot of these like online distribution channels start to reach a ceiling in terms of their efficacy for you. And what you really need to start doing is engaging in targeted outbound sales efforts where you know the customer, you know, it's a small world of customers that you, a small world of big fish customers that you need to go after. You sort of basically know who they are and you know their names. So you have a named account list and then you can actually go straight directly towards them. Now, content is still super helpful for you at this point because your outbound sales efforts you know, you kind of need to show up at the door with something in hand. And that something in hand, that gift that you, you know, sort of present to your outbound targets can be content. And so that's like another way where you sort of create a direct channel to your customer, but you still distribute the content in that way directly. Right, right. In ABM also, your content strategy needs to be like on point exactly to that exact user persona makes sense yeah exactly and and in that case you just need so much content too Fine. and now we're getting a little bit outside of like the domain of traditional content marketing and more into like okay is this product marketing is this demand gen but overall you know i think the point is that content can be distributed also via your sales reps right makes sense circling back to the traditional content distribution one interesting thing i've seen being used is using hooks or anchor points for your main content right so an example would be using stories in instagram and youtube also now which routes the user to the main content piece by swiping up uh, you guys in reforge also used to put up short videos talking about the reforge brief and then obviously user can read the actual reforge brief by going into that given link uh, any other such interesting tactic or a key learnings advice from this exact thing that you guys did in reforge yeah i think it's really interesting, this idea of kind of like sequencing and nesting your content together. I'll tell you some of the challenges that we faced with it. One was really like, okay, do we really want to create so many steps in our content funnel, like away from the actual because the goal of all of our content was to yield an email sign up. And so if we like have them watch a video, and then they click to the actual article, and then they can sign up to the email list, isn't that like too many steps before signing up to the email list? Well, the reason we sort of landed on that was because again like coming back to this question of distribution every distribution channel has its own kind of specific things that work and don't work for it so in that case we were really trying to take advantage of linkedin distribution because a lot of our target customers were hanging out on linkedin the business audience and we were noticing very rapidly decreasing effectiveness of sharing articles on linkedin but we were noticing that video this was like about a year and a half ago we were noticing that video was really taking off and and we've kind of heard through the grapevine and through some of our friends that hey like LinkedIn is really kind of prioritizing video in its newsfeed. We also saw the evidence of this in our own newsfeeds. And so in order to capitalize on the opportunity of the the distribution opportunity on LinkedIn, we felt that it was necessary to tailor our format of our content to something that was going to get lots of distribution on LinkedIn, specifically video. So if you have video and then you're distributing that on LinkedIn, you can't really get an email sign up straight from the video. So that's where that sequence comes into play. so they watch the video, they click to go to the site, and then the email sign up, you know, they read the full thing, and then the email sign up is there. So basically, the video acts as a, like an introduction or a hook, like you said, to a slightly longer written piece, which, you know, if they consume it and are happy, then the email sign up is there. 
Awesome. That's interesting learning. Okay. So let's talk about content sharing on social media and content resharing on social media. What is the strategy here? What and why and how do we do that? So content sharing is so hard these days. I think that people are a lot less keen to, you know, I don't know how old people are here who are listening, but like back in the very early days of social media, people just didn't really know how to use the channels. And it was easy to get people to, you know, nobody was shy. People were sharing all the time. They're like engaging all the time. And now I think people are a lot more reticent to engage with content on social media. And so in order to get a share, there really has to be a very strong incentive and understanding what the user incentive or, you know, what the audience incentive is to share something, whether, you know, what is like that selfish need that it speaks to? Does it help them show off? Does it help them kind of align themselves or create affinity between themselves and a brand like look at me and Gucci or whatever it is? Or, you know, does it make them look smarter? Look, I'm sharing this like really great piece of analysis. It's important to understand what is like the core motivation. And then also ask yourself, is that a widespread motivation? Because if only like some super nerdy people without a big following have that motivation, they might share it. But number one, it won't branch very far. It won't share to very many people. And then two, it won't convert more sharers because not that many people share that sentiment. So I think it's really critical to sort of when you're thinking about sharing to to design content for shareability. And in order to design for shareability, you really have to understand again, your audience, and then, you know, what kind of people they are, what's their style, and then also understand their motivations to to using their social currency to promote your idea. Makes sense. What about sharing from the founders and the brand channels? So like, you know what, I feel very nervous on sharing the same set of podcasts again and again, again and again on my social media handles, right? My personal as well as my official insights Ali uh, handles, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. So what goes in my mind is like, am I being too annoying in to the people who follow me? Is this a good strategy or not? Your thoughts on that? So I think founders should invest heavily in in their own following and in their own like kind of thought leadership brand. And sharing content can be a part of that, but also just sharing thoughts that don't contain a link, that don't contain any kind of call to action. I think that's a really important way to build up the, the brand foundation. And then once you've built up the brand foundation, then it's easier to intersperse more promotional stuff into, into your mix from there. But if you start with promotional stuff and you keep promoting it all the time, people will just tune out and they won't they won't continue to pay attention or they won't continue to follow your account. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind is like it's fine to reshare, but what else are you doing in between to continue adding both interest and value to keep your audience engaged? Right. Makes sense. So how to use automation in all this? Like, would you suggest? And if yes, like any tools for doing that? Yeah. So like, you know, I think it's really important to have, of course, a content calendar. And and the content calendar is like the first step in automation, because you know, sort of what your schedule is, and you can right. build some automation around that schedule. Obviously, you can share, I mean, sorry, not share, you can um, build automation around sharing, that's pretty common. And I think there's also, I mean, I personally don't really like to create automated connections between publishing and sharing, because I think sharing is its own action. And the way that, you know, again, every channel has its own specific thing. So I know there are tools, you know, Buffer and in all of these social media tools where you can just create one update and share it across lots of channels. I, I personally don't like to do that. I like to 
you know, share my content natively. And so I guess that's a little bit anti-automation. And and the reason why I like to have it native is because there are just features that you can access native to the channel or to the platform that you can't access via an aggregator. Right. Um, you can custom, you can tag, for example, in Twitter, you can tag, you can tag people in an image, which will, you know, create more yeah. notifications into, into the ecosystem that you cannot do that through an aggregator. And so I think like, just really tailoring all of your content that you share just to the channel to make it super successful on that channel. It requires a little bit more attention to detail and it's a little bit less automatable, but I think you get better results. Obviously things that you can automate are just, you know, if you want to reshare content later, let's say you want to reshare content later, maybe that doesn't require quite as much care as the first share, or maybe it does. It's kind of up to you to decide how important that is. But I think the first step is really building out that calendar and then thinking about like, what are the steps that I can do by hand and what can I absolutely not? And therefore I need to rely on tools to help me automate. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. So then uh, let's talk about being data driven or perhaps data informed in your content marketing strategy, right? I mean, for early stage startups, your main goal is to not let your startup die in the first place. And in all this, where does content marketing fit in? How should founders see and perhaps understand metrics and tracking of those metrics for content marketing? And obviously the overall funnel and ROI of your content marketing. Yeah, so you need to understand your overall marketing funnel. I think that's kind of like the first step and and know that content can take months and months to pay back, as, as I mentioned earlier. So if you understand your overall marketing funnel and let's say content is playing a role at the you know top, let's say it's playing a role at all stages of the funnel, top of funnel, middle, and also bottom all the way to conversion and even like post-sale. Then I think like the content should be measured in the same way as all other efforts at the top of the funnel are measured or middle or bottom or whatever. And so like in the case of Reforge, we measured our content on a bunch of different, on a bunch of different metrics. Not only there's sort of like some proxy metrics, like how much traffic did it get or how many views how many shares, but then we also looked at things like who were the people that shared, you know, how were they a look, are they a lookalike audience to um, our actual customers? And we actually ran, you know, data analysis, some manual, some, some semi-automated, but a lot of it is manual because you can't really pull that information automatically from these platforms. But, you know, for example, on LinkedIn, like who liked this LinkedIn post and who shared it, who did it reach and like what titles do they have? What companies do they work at? You know, what is our like our actual B to B representation amongst that audience? So those would be like proxy metrics for its success. And then the real metrics are just how many emails to generate, because for us, then our content, our top of funnel content, you know, was intended to generate an email subscriber, which then got nurtured into um, into a customer. I think it's really interesting to look at like, okay, how many emails, how many, how much did this content cost to produce? How many emails did it generate? How does our email nurture funnel perform? And how many people ended up becoming a customer at what LTV? And so therefore, what was the ROI on this content? Right. Makes sense. And touching back to your earlier point, uh, founders need to be very, very, very patient in their content marketing, right? Evergreen content, if they are making great evergreen content, it would have that compounding effect, right? Yeah, and I think you can use those proxy metrics to tell you whether you're on the right track or not. So like, you know, you have to be patient, but you also have to be smart. You have to be aware of like, you don't want to keep doing something that's not working. And so it's kind of a paradox. Like you both have to like, 
wait to see it work, but you also have to look out for signs that it's not working early on. And and sometimes, you know, we need, we're, we're not that aware of whether something is really good quality or not. And we need help from, from other people to, you know, kind of hold that mirror up. And so some of those proxy metrics could be like, let's say you create some content and, and nobody responds to it on LinkedIn, it doesn't get any distribution. Well, maybe you just need to give it time, you need to build up a following, but maybe after a couple of, you know, flops like that, you really want to go back to the drawing board and ask yourself, are these the right personas? Is this the right kind of stage of awareness? Am I speaking to the right problems? And then did I create content that is so good that I personally would want to read it and share it? Right. Could this be an optimization problem and not much as the content problem? Optimization for the channel. So like, for example, for your blog post, you need to have some sort of semblance around SEO. And for Twitter, it should be hashtags. How to think around this? Yeah. So I think if you, you know, for every channel, there's sort of like a basic checklist of things that you you need to cover. And if you're not, you know, specifically like, you know, you said Twitter hashtags, it kind of reminded me of that. If your basic checklist isn't being covered, then maybe it's an optimization issue. But let's say you've covered all the basics and you're doing every, you think you're doing everything that you're supposed to, you put your hashtags, you did all of like, you're following the same format as other successful looking content is following, then it may not be an optimization issue. And it may be more of like a core quality issue. So I think it's looking at, you know, you have to sort of do that level of diagnosis to see like, did I did I follow kind of the simple checklist? And if so, you know, where else could the problem lie? Maybe it's higher and it's closer to the root. Right, that that actually makes sense. Also, since it's going to be a long process and you kind of navigate through and be in the right direction, how would you advise founders to make at least a cadence for this whole process and maintain a consistency in it? Yeah, that's such a great question. So consistency and cadence are really... Well, I don't know, actually, I've changed kind of my opinion on this over time, I I was going to say it's really important um, for a company, but I've seen, you know, I've also seen people succeed without a consistent, you know, kind of regular rhythm to their content. I think you should just, it's so hard to create content anyway, it's great to create regularity, because then people know what to expect. And, you know, just a lot of marketing is just repetition. So you get that repetition element. But if you can't do that, you know, the number one is quality and fit to the channel and to the audience. And then like distant number two is regularity. If you can't get the regularity, then definitely get the quality. But you should never sacrifice quality and fit in order to meet a schedule. Obviously, that makes sense. By the way, like who writes this or create this content? Uh, You earlier talked about if the founders are a good fit for doing that. So like, should founders do it? Or should they hire freelancers? Or like pros and cons of both strategy, like how to think and decide around this? I think it depends on what your content is for. So for example, if you're sharing, you know, thought leadership content on LinkedIn about like a really challenging topic, you probably do want to have like some more executive voice in that. But if you're creating content for the purposes of SEO, then yeah, you could probably hire a a small team of freelancers to create a high volume because SEO really only works at volume, a high volume of content based on, you know, specific guidelines that you define that will work for um, search optimization for your business and your terms. So it kind of depends on like, again, the channel. 
and also, you know, what purpose that content is serving. So typically, when you have people come in through search, they're going to be probably a little bit further away from being ready to buy, they're still in the consideration process, and they're doing all their research, you may not need to have your founders byline on every single one of those blog posts. And in fact, it might not even be a good thing, because then it's like, why does this founder spend all his or her time (laughs) writing blog posts? So I think you have to just sort of like fit it to both the channel and also to like how serious of a consideration point that that represents. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome. So then let's do a brainstorming rapid fire exercise. So let's assume there is a B2B SaaS startup in a, let's say, a sales tech space, right? Now quickly, what exact topics for content would you come up with in just a few minutes? Let's say five plus topics. And if you could please say out loud your thought process on coming up with these exact topics, right? So that we can learn from it. So we can assume any B2B SaaS startup, let's say in a sales tech space, and suppose they are building tools with AI and ML, which sits on top of traditional CRM tools for sales teams, right? So just curious to know how would you go through and do this exercise? Sure. So, okay, first I would think about who's the buyer and the buyer is probably going to be, let's see, a sales ops type of you know role within the organization. And so I would be thinking about like, okay, what are all of the ways that they that feed into their awareness of products? They probably look at everything from who's sponsoring conferences to like white papers on their LinkedIn, uh, being advertised on their LinkedIn to, you know, maybe some blog posts about things that people in sales ops roles care about, like, let's say accurate reporting, attribution, or even like personal topics like management and leadership. So that would be like, those are all of the really big buckets. And then I would say like, okay, maybe we can come up with ideas in all of those buckets and we can attack it from like all angles because, you know, another part of marketing in general is that you do want to be that repetition. You want to have that brand repetition. You want to have your brand present in a lot of different places. So I might say like, okay, well, we think that a lot of them are on hanging out on LinkedIn. They're like looking up prospects. They're helping their um, sales team look up prospects on LinkedIn. And so they're on LinkedIn anyway, as part of their job. Okay, cool. So we're going to do some title targeting on LinkedIn. And we're going to Oh, by the way, this is content, but this is paid promotion of content, because let's assume that they're not in your network, these people. So it's going to be very hard to reach them through LinkedIn organic only. If they are in your network, then LinkedIn organic could be a really great way to do it. But for something that's probably like a little bit more personal, so maybe like how to do better reporting or how to do like how to get your manager to notice you or something that's kind of like more to their personal concerns when they're like they have their personal hat on when they're doing LinkedIn. But if it's, you know, they have their professional hat on while doing LinkedIn, while they're using LinkedIn, it could be something more like, okay, well, maybe how does machine learning save, you know, how how machine learning can like increase accuracy and prospecting and decrease or, or and increase, you know, pipeline acceleration or something like that. And so these are things, these are topics that, again, I don't work in sales. I've worked with (laughs) sales teams, so I don't work in sales, but I'm just guessing here. You'd have to do this research and understand the exact vocabulary that people use when describing their problems and match your content to that vocabulary. But let's just assume it's around those topics. So I might, you know, number one, like do some paid posts. I might do some like long form posts around that or share some data. If I have some data around like how much time ML can can say AI and ML can save in the prospecting process. I might share that. I might share that as a graphic so that it doesn't even require reading. It could just be a visual. And then I might, you know, if I'm a bigger company or if I have some fundraised, 
then I might think about like, okay, well, what about an analyst solution? Can I go to like a forester or a gardener and commission a report? And then once I've commissioned that report, can I like then do a bunch of distribution around and, and content strategy around that report? So once you have like that report, let's say it's like a 30 or 40 page report, you could number one, you could gate distribute and gate that report directly, or you could use it to and or you could use it to create blog posts, infographics and other shorter form content that you could also distribute on the same channel. So that's kind of I don't know if I came up with five different <laughs> but that was just very, very good. It's like a whole consulting session. Absolutely awesome. Uh, any final key piece of advice you'd give to the founders related to content marketing? Yeah, I just think content is so wonderful. It's just such a great way because it gives you space to tell your story and to really be a problem solver for your customer. But I also think that it's changing all the time. And so if you watch somebody's video on content marketing from several years ago, a lot of those things are going to be out of date. It's changing all the time because number one, audience tastes are changing and they're becoming more savvy and sophisticated and banner blind to marketing all the time. But also because channels change all the time. Channels have a life cycle. They go through good phases and they kind of go through bad phases and they kind of decay. And that is, that's why we have to constantly be experimenting and evolving our own approach to content-driven lead acquisition. You can't sort of just like rest on the strategies that were, that worked for a company that was doing that in 2009 or even 2014, because those things probably aren't relevant to a company in 2019. So I think that's kind of like the takeaway is be looking for, be looking for what that that edge is all the time. And I don't have an answer to it. I would have to like kind of sit down and poke around for a long time and look for those opportunities for each individual business. But the core thing to remember is that what you see today is the product of yesterday or yester yesterday. And so you actually want to be creating for tomorrow and to to be always looking for where you know where that's headed. Right, right. Any resource you'd suggest to listeners for learning more about this topic, both people, blogs, Gosh, you know, I actually think that the best learning is by just observing what other people are doing. And so what I would do is actually just like see who's trending on on social media, for example, if you want to like master social channels, and then I would like study what they're doing. And then I would also look at I don't think you should overly focus on competitors, but sometimes it can be helpful to try to find out what your competitors are doing in terms of content. You might be blocked from seeing it, but you can, you know, sort of try to see like what your competitors are doing on LinkedIn or what your competitors are doing in search. I think also like in each category, there are companies that really succeed. So I think, you know, for example, in B2B SaaS, Drift is doing really well on LinkedIn. HubSpot is a great company that has mastered search. And so, but of course, HubSpot won't be the king of search forever, it's always changing. So I think starting and looking at those and seeing who else they're up against is a really great way to to study. I personally think that anybody that writes about content marketing, I wouldn't the blog posts are only telling you like 50% of the story because who would share their really good secrets? No one, right? right? <laughs> right. So, you would like to plug in uh, your Twitter, LinkedIn, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, uh, my LinkedIn is linkedin.com slash in slash Susan Sue. Um, and I'm, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn and I'm always kind of on there checking stuff out because I like B2B. I, I focus a lot on B2B and um, I spend a lot of my time like LinkedIn stalking. So I'm pretty responsive on there. And my Twitter is at Susan F. Sue. Uh, Well, Susan, thank you so much for all the insights. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 
that's it folks thanks for listening show notes would be available on the website insightsally.com please rate review subscribe in whichever app you are listening to this episode the podcast is available everywhere itunes google podcasts spotify stitcher etc and even youtube and remember always be learning bye